Do we have a guardian angel? A Danish mission had a church and hospital work at Dodola, about 170 miles south of Addis Ababa. They wanted to expand their evangelistic and medical work to a remote tribe just over a range of mountains next to their station. Two single lady nurses had trekked over the mountains, probably taking a couple of days on foot, and were living with the tribe in the valley below. At first they had no communication with the outside world, apart from sending a messenger over the mountains back to their base. I had a great admiration for those ladies, for their courage and self-denial, living, living in extremely primitive conditions. However, MEF to rescue. The ladies were provided with a radio and eventually a piece of land was found which could take an airstrip of sorts. It had a slight bend in it and rather a nasty bump about one third of the way down. One had to land and take off in one direction only, to the south, as the valley was very narrow with very little room to manoeuvre. So if one could choose a place for engine failure, this would be bottom of the list. Engine failures on aircraft are very rare, but they do happen. Flying from Dodola Station over to Warka only took about 13 minutes, crossing the mountains at 9,000 feet and gliding down to the steep rocky valley to the airstrip below at 6,000 feet. Today I was taking out three adults and two young children. They had been down at Warka building more suitable accommodation for the two ladies. We prayed briefly before I started the engine and took off in a southerly direction, climbing straight ahead to avoid a steep hill on our left. Once clear of the hill, we turned left onto a northerly direction and started the long climb to cross the range at a saddle in the mountains at 9,000 feet in a fairly narrow pass. After four minutes of flying with about another 500 feet to climb, the engine was at full power and at maximum rate of climb, when in the blink of an eye we changed from the roar of the engine to absolute silence. The passenger sitting at my right gasped. I found it quite a shock too, but training took over immediately and I put the nose of the aircraft into a very steep descending turn to the left. Had we maintained that climbing attitude, the plane would have stalled in approximately three seconds, and we were only about 700 feet above the side of the mountain. A quick mayday call giving position and situation to home base. The immediate circumstances looked hopeless, as there appeared to be no place to set the aircraft down, would the hyenas be having us that night? I checked the fuel selector, which was in both tanks, and switched to the right tank. There was just the vague possibility that there might be water in one of them. I then tried operating the mixture in various positions and the engine spluttered and gave a dribble of power. I fiddled a bit more with the mixture and realised that these little bursts of power were extending my glide sufficiently to clear the ridge just coming up, which would put me into a position for a glide approach all the way back to Warka, about three to four miles away. One thing that is normally impossible is to land 
at an airfield from which one takes off in the event of an engine failure, as the rate of descent is greater than the rate of climb. But because at this airstrip, airstrip immediately after takeoff, one had to climb away in the direction opposite to one's track, there was a bit of height gained. After feeling absolutely hopeless, with rugged mountains on both sides, that little dribble of power brought hope. Could we glide all the way down the valley to the airstrip, which was out of sight, hidden behind a hill? As the glide downwards continued, hope began to rise. Maybe we could make it. All this time the passengers hadn't uttered a word, but I'm sure they were praying as they had never prayed before. For me, this was not a time to pray. That was done before takeoff. Also, after crossing the ridge, the engine had been silent again. We were going to make it. I knew this valley well enough from previous flights to know what my height should be. Think ahead. What can go wrong now? If we can reach the strip, we only have one stab at it. It has to be right first time, as there was no engine power to make finer adjustments to speed or height on the final approach. One thing could scupper us. The engine control was set at full throttle. If the engine burst into life at the wrong moment, we could be off the end of the short strip. Now is the time to switch the engine off. So no question now. We were getting close now, but there was no airstrip in sight. That was okay. I just had to make a sharp left turn round the hill at about 300 feet above the ground, and it would be there. I couldn't afford to be low, because if I couldn't make the strip now, all was lost. Coming round the corner of the hill, still in silence, I saw that I was high. Praise the Lord. I knew that I mustn't land too far down the strip as the nasty undulation could damage the undercarriage if struck at the wrong moment. One stage of flap down, I lined up with the strip. Speed back to 65 miles per hour. Nose down, full right rudder, left aileron, and we were side slipping, losing a lot of height, but keeping the approach speed steady. I straightened up, full flap, and the wheels touched the ground at the right spot. I then allowed the aircraft to keep rolling towards the normal stopping place. We were all speaking again. Before we got out, we agreed that this was the time to bow our heads and thank our Lord for his marvellous delivery. For those who are interested, there is an excerpt from the engineer's report and here it is. We removed the cowling and I made a thorough inspection of the throttle linkage, the fuel control unit, etc., before noticing that the induction alternate air aperture was open. The door itself was found lying in the bottom of the airbox. There were scratch marks further up the airbox near the throttle butterfly, indicating that the door had at some stage travelled up there and effectively blocked off the induction air. The hinge pin had evidently cut through its locking wire, retainer, 
and it then drilled itself a hole in the bottom of the airbox through which it fell. No sign was found of the pin, nor of the spring which keeps the door closed. In other words, I'd got it wrong. The magnetos were okay, there was fuel getting to the engine, but no air. Now, it just so happened where it did. If it had happened earlier, I don't believe I would have got the height to get back. If it had happened when I had got over the top, well, the mountain was not so rugged on the other side, but just as hard. So there wouldn't have been any hope at all. If that little dribble of power hadn't come at the critical time, I definitely don't believe it just so happened.